When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's show on Wednesday, February 23rd, 2022. And uh, Aaron wanted to start out at the top, because I know you are a Lego enthusiast. In fact, you built the Bugle Building not so far back, right? It would, it would, including lighting, if I remember correctly. We've actually done uh, Ecto-1. We've done the Saturn V rocket. We've done the Seinfeld set. We've got quite the collection going on of the, the Lego universe right now. Okay. Well, then I have to ask, on your horizon, are you considering the goat boat? That is the question I had. Uh, Eric XOXP mm-hmm. uh, send me this image on Twitter just less than 24 hours ago, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes I get things that are, you know, very obvious fakes. Mm-hmm. And I saw this and I went, hmm, is this a mock up for something real or something that a fan wants to be real? And, you know, I mean, when you got the goats, mm-hmm. it was a tooth gnasher and tooth grinder. There we go. Yes. All right. Yeah. So when you've got the goats involved, I already have my speculation flag a-waving, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, hmm. But uh, we know that the goats are supposed to be in the movie mm-hmm. and uh, they're pulling like a Norse boat. And so the idea is, is if the rainbow bridge has been shattered and, and no longer exists, or you no longer have an Asgard mm-hmm. to go to and from, how, how does Thor get about on these mystical far flung journeys across the galaxy? And the obvious answer is he has two goats, pull a boat through space. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Lego said, well, let's make a Lego set out of that. That sounds just fine. And I have to say that for the first time in a very long time, now mind you, this is a 564-piece set. I am sorely tempted by this, if only so I can have my very own tooth grinder and tooth gnasher. But the boat is pretty cool, too. Did you happen to notice the names of the characters by by way of uh, looking on the box there? I did. I did. So there's a, some, some reveals about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Thor, just regular Thor, right? Right, right? And then right next to him is Mighty Thor. But I don't know if that's the Thor that we associate Thor as being Thor. Mm, I think you are correct. That could be a rather Janish Thor because uh, she's lacking a beard. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's how I opt for that being Jane. And then next to Thor on the other side mm-hmm. is not just Valkyrie, mm-hmm. but King Valkyrie. Ooh, I did not notice that. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Last time she was talking about a a king finding her queen, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think Marvel has latched onto that and said, yeah, let's run with that. Mm -hmm. King Valkyrie, I like that. 
And there are two other uh, folks listed in this box. I get well, who- then, yeah, we got one named after a keyboard company, Korg, <laughs> <laughs> which is played by Taiko Waititi, which is mm-hmm. wonderful. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the last one, I guess this is our villain, right? Yeah. Gore. Yeah. And also what got revealed this week, I think also through a toy set, is uh, what Gore's weapon of choice is. Have you heard about this? The All Black? The all black. Yeah. Is it a knife, a sword, a staff? What, what is it? My understanding is it Another is a goat. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's, it's an all powerful blade. In fact, given the name Gore, the God killer, you know, that you need something pretty substantial to take those folks out. And this sure. appears to be that weapon, which I want to say has ties somehow to the blade. Storyline, and speaking of which, it's All Black the Necro Sword, and according to the Marvel Wiki, it's it's a malevolent dark deity that existed for billions of years. And I stand corrected; it's not tied to Blade. It's supposedly tied to uh, the Venom mythology. Oh, geez, I'd prefer if it were tied to that singing sword from that Bugs Bunny cartoon. There we go. <laughs> Drop that sword, varmint! But we were just touching on Blade a moment ago. I don't know if you saw, there's been some additional casting announced with that film. We have Aaron Pierce, who was just in M. Night Shyamalan's Old. And then there is Delroy Lindro, uh, Lindo, who has been cast in a quote-unquote mystery role. But the other bit of news that dropped do you remember Gianna Carlo Esposito? Uh, he played Moff Gideon in uh, Mandalorian season. Oh one yeah, and two? absolutely. Yeah, he's he's been everywhere. He's been in uh, the Far Cry video game recently. Hmm. He's been in obviously Breaking Bad. But yeah, the, that man's been working. Okay, well, that man may be working for Marvel Studios in the not so distant future. His name has been bubbling up for Mephisto. How do we feel about that? Well, of course he's going to be playing a villain. That's all that anyone can cast him as. Mm-hmm. You know, Marvel's been really good at casting. Mm-hmm. And I you know, would hate to even try and cast Judgment without seeing some actual test footage, right? Because mm-hmm. Marvel doesn't make these decisions willy-nilly and, and just shake hands with a, any Haley Steinfeld that walks through the door without <laughs> testing her. Uh, <laughs> they, they, uh, no, I don't know, man. It's, it's one of those things where I think, um, if you cast opposite of how mm-hmm. you're perceived, mm-hmm. you can create something rather magical. And, uh, so he's been cast as a villain for like the last many years, very successfully, mm-hmm. by the way. I mean, every time he's been a villain, he's been a very lovable villain you know Mm -hmm. the kind that you want to see more of on the screen so i mean i totally get that but give the man a chance to show us the range of of what he's capable of because we know it's more than just a bad guy this is true but on the other hand i I think half the fun of watching him as moff gideon is he was enjoying 
playing the villain. Oh yeah, yeah. And Mephisto he, is is right up there in the the Marvel canon, right? I mean, it's the king of all. It, it's the devil, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't get any more of a bad bad guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the thing is that I think we'll. <laughs> I think we'll end up seeing this more in Neil Gaiman's Sandman when mm-hmm. it hits Netflix is the devil is going to be charming. Cause remember the devil came as an angel originally, right? He did. He did. And so there's that element of if you play it with a soft touch mm-hmm. with an element of kindness, you distrust that character 10 times more, right? Because it's like, Oh, what are you up to devil? I know you're up to some shenanigans. And uh, I think the kinder, softer devil is the more, frightening devil you know if the plan is obvious and plain to see ah well i can see through that devil you can't trick me ha 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 but if you can't see the plan at all you don't even know what game you're playing chess checkers parcheesi skipping the rope we don't know you know it's just like what are we doing i have no idea but the devil's leading the game that is terrifying so yeah maybe maybe he will play it opposite and just be a, a charming devil and it'll be awesome we will see. We will see. Yeah. You were just saying, you know, again, soft, charming. And again, there's the old cliche that please make the words I use soft and tender for I may have to eat them later, which brings us to walk back Wednesday. I oh, know. Do we need salt and pepper for this? Well, I, see, see, the problem is right now that I'm not entirely convinced we really need to walk this back. But at the same time, we, we need to share the story. Actually, it's two stories. It's Ryan Reynolds and Sir Patrick Stewart, which I can remember on last week's show, we did an in-depth dive about all of the cameos that are supposedly showing up in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Badness. And what's kind of interesting is is Reynolds, who's out doing publicity right now for the Atom Project. It's uh, His next movie for Netflix will be on that streaming service on March 11th. He was doing an interview with Variety, and the the topic of that mirror fragment on the poster that seems to show Deadpool's image came up. And so he got asked about this, and Ryan's response to the question is, I'm really not in the movie. He really should have said, I'm not familiar with this Deadpool character. Can you show me an image of what it looks like to refresh my memory? It's so fuzzy. Oh, that Deadpool, right. Okay, you're saying a movie? No, I have nothing to do with that movie. Did Patrick Stewart also deny, 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 even though well, it's already been featured uh, in the trailer? No, no, no. We'll get to Patrick in a oh, moment. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm, I'm I, putting you know. the cart before the goat. So Mark Malkin of Variety presses Ryan on this issue, pointing out that Chris Cox and Andrew Garfield did pretty much say the same thing about their appearances in Spider-Man No Way Home. So Ryan could be lying, and Reynolds said, I'm promising you, I'm not in the movie. Whereas Patrick Stewart kind of went a different way. He was out doing publicity for season two of Star Trek Picard, and he got asked about that voice in the the Multiverse of Badness trailer, which he said to Jamie Lovett of comicbooks.com, people have been imitating my voice ever since I came on the stage 60 years ago, so I can't be held responsible for that. That's kind of a non-denial denial, isn't it? Or... I want to see uh, Benedict Cumberbatch follow that up immediately with Doctor Strange too. No, I have no involvement in that. Uh, I didn't even know that they were writing a script for that. They should have called me by now, don't you think? It's all about making news. And what's interesting, again, is that in a press event like that, job number one is to promote the project that you're actually there to promote. Because every reporter's only got 
five to ten minutes with these people typically. And uh. it's just sort of like, you don't want to talk about Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. We're here to talk about the Netflix movie, not the, the Disney movie, because they compete. So you're there to make the news about the right project. And speaking of the news, the news portion of this podcast is brought to you by Storybook Destination's trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. While we continue to walk things back... A couple of shows back, we were talking about how Spider-Man No Way Home was uh, supposed You promised no box office. Are you going to well, say box office? No box office. All right, go ahead. Okay. Continue. All right. All right. But digital HD version of this movie was supposed to come out on February 28th. And then uh, the Blu-ray was supposed to come out on March 15th. Yeah, that changed. It did. Just today, they revealed that the digital release date has been pushed back by nearly a full month to March 22nd, and the Blu-ray and DVD version of this John Watts film pushed back a month further to April 12th. Do you remember back in, in 2019, Spider-Man Far From Home had been out in theaters for two months at this point. And they announced going into Labor Day that a new extended cut of Far From Home was going to be released to theaters. Uh, it was going to contain a previously unseen four-minute-long action scene. Uh -huh. you're, what you're telling me is Kevin Feige does listen, and he heard you specifically say, no more box office about Spider-Man, and he said, hold my beer. <laughs> And then they're going to go do an extended cut, put it back into theaters, make that extra bank, break another record so they can get another poster drawn by one of their artists for a movie they probably made in a different decade that they ended up beating the box office. And they'll congratulate themselves for beating themselves. I better watch how I phrase that. There you go. And, uh, and, and, that's, and that's how it's going to go. And then you, mm -hmm. as a result, are going to have to have another... Take it back Wednesday. Go back Wednesday. Walk it back Wednesday. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be moonwalking for an extra couple well, of weeks now, because of the box office now, numbers. What's kind of <laughs> intriguing is that when they did this in 2019, it didn't necessarily translate into a lot of ticket sales. They only made an additional $7 million after that version of the film went out. Mm. And No Way Home is already two hours and 28 minutes long. And remember early on, we actually got word of what was going to be on the Blu-ray and DVD, the 20 additional extra features. And that included five deleted scenes. We have a, mm. an, an interrogation scene, an extended version of it. We have Peter's Day at Midtown High. We have the Undercroft montage. I wonder what that's about. We also have Happy's Very Good Lawyer. So I wonder if we are actually going to get that, that oh yeah that's that probably the cut scene that a foggy wow. joke no i hope they don't put that back in <laughs> <laughs> and finally we have a really intriguing one the spideys hang out okay any more time with the spider men mm -hmm. is fully approved they could okay. make an extra hour of just the three spiders chilling mm -hmm. in the apartment Mm -hmm. chat and spider stories and villains and differences and uh mm -hmm. that would just be all great if you add up the running time of all of these things it's almost 14 additional minutes of footage and again Ooh. we 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 already have a movie that's two hours and 28 minutes long so that's creeping up on almost three hours yeah but you know there you know how many times jim and i've been a long time mm -hmm. dvd blu-ray collector and it was always that 
extended cut that you didn't get to see in theaters with an extra 38 seconds mm -hmm. of unseen footage. It's like, oh my God. And you watch the movie and it's like it, that 38 seconds happens over the course of like three scenes, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> They've been extended by like five seconds here. 10 seconds there and five seconds here. and and you really don't even notice that much that that little bit extra uh because it's so minute it's so minuscule if it's an extended scene right if, if it's not an entirely new scene it doesn't jump right out at you so uh just having extended scenes sometimes just doesn't cut it but if they want to get my dollars again to go back in the theater and watch it again Mm -hmm. I would be more apt to do it for 14 minutes of content than 38 seconds of content. So if I went in, I, and I would be disappointed if I just got a little bit or an extended scene, one or two extra little clips. 14 minutes, that's enough where I would feel like I got my money's worth a second time. Okay. Now, uh, various sources are putting out that this extended version of Spider-Man No Way Home could be begin running domestically as early as Friday, March 11th. I'm also hearing from Sony... They're doing a big ad buy on the Academy Awards, which will air uh, Sunday, March 27th, with the notion that this ad would mention that the digital version had become available early in the week on March 22nd, and would also make viewers of this ABC broadcast aware that the Blu-ray and DVD would be available for purchase some two weeks later. Before we jump forward, uh, last year's Oscars, weren't the ratings for that dismal or am I totally mistaken? Uh, you are very correct. In fact, I don't know if you saw the announcement today. They've announced a fix for this Oscar. They're doing what the Tonys do. They're taking a number of categories and what they're doing is they're handing out those awards prior to the broadcast. They are filming them, and then they're editing them for time. So, mm. you know, the idea is that during a lull in the proceedings, if they're changing a set on stage or bringing a different presenter in, they'll show one of these eight categories, which include original score, makeup and hairstyling, documentary short, film editing, production design, animated short, live action short, and sound. They'll be dropped in then, but... On the heels of what happened just this past weekend with Uncharted, evidently Mr. Holland is now being sought along with his his, his lady friend Zendaya. Right, I'm going to do it, it right. <laughs> Zendaya. No. Damn it. All right, Zendaya. It's always a good Zendaya. It'd be bad if you were to Zendaya. Okay, there we go. All right, Zendaya. Okay, I like that. Well, anyway, Uncharted came out this past weekend, and again, I've told Aaron that we won't do box office, so we're just going to do this in the roughest possible terms. The projected box office for Uncharted was in the mid-30s, and what ended up happening is this film, by the way, also released by Sony, so they are especially thrilled. It did a third more business than anybody projected. Ended up finishing... The President's Day weekend in North America doing north of $50 million in ticket sales. And exit survey showed that that one-third extra business was largely young adult males who were coming out to see Tom Holland again because they so enjoyed watching him in Spider-Man No Way Home. So the Academy Award wants Tom and his girlfriend to show up and hand out an award with the hope that that will have, you know, help make people tune in look the goodwill that we have for tom holland stretches only so far people mm -hmm. 
Like for one, Marvel, Disney, Sony, all of you should be ashamed for putting your commercial during the Oscars when you know the, the ratings are dismal. You're not catching the right eye. Unless you're trying to get a very specific crowd of if you're trying to catch the people who are involved with the Oscars because they're actually watching the Oscars. Mm. If you want to speak directly to them, fine. You've done your job by putting your commercial there. But I think your money would have been better spent going the Super Bowl route. Well, remember, we, we, we actually talked a little bit about that in that the thinking was that if they revealed that Spider-Man was in fact going to come out, you know, be available as a digital download or no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that you're going to, you've, you have to make that decision of making the extended cut. Right. And if you made that decision earlier, then you could put that in the Super Bowl commercial saying extended cut of Spider-Man comes out in a couple of weeks. And you threaten to take Spider-Man out of the theater for like, you know, the two weeks in between, like, here's our, the- our, our normal theatrical edition that's been out forever. And we're going to cut it off on March 1st. And then on March 15th, Spider-Man extended edition is in theaters for only two weeks, people. And then, and then you don't say anything about the digital release. And that would have been made people aware of, of like, oh, I got to go see it now so I can see the original version. And then I got to go see it again because so, I have to have a comparison point. If I just go see the extended version, I won't know what's new and different. I guess I, I'm grading on, on a curve for the folks at Sony because I think, you know, I mean, just today, for example, did you see that they put out that photo that they took on the set of Tom Holland and Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire? reenacting the I'm Spider-Man, no, I'm Spider-Man meme from... Uh, it's currently my Facebook cover page right now. Well, there yeah. you go. I mean, it's just to think about it. The film came out 10 weeks ago. And the fact that Sony has been able to keep this film front of mind, the weird thing of it is, is yeah, it's, it's easy to second guess about should they have advertised the extended cut earlier, that sort of thing. But well, I mean, they had the problem of Uncharted to deal with because they w- they were going to roll all of that Spider-Man goodwill into the Uncharted deal, and if you come out with a Spider-Man Deluxe Edition mm-hmm. that comes out in a similar time as Uncharted, mm-hmm. that's not quite right for for Sony's schedule. Uh, they would be rather miffed to have to compete with themselves in that sort of way. This is true. Uh, this so is true. I mean, it's it is a whole timing issue, mm-hmm. and you know they are trying to react to the the moment, right? That is an interesting point. Just hang on a sec. Okay, Uncharted came out on the 18th, so one, two, three. Look at that. If that timing holds, Uncharted will be, uh, won't have to compete with the extended cut of Spider-Man for three weeks. Yeah. That's clever. Okay. I mean, they do do scheduling for a living, so they better know how to not slit their own throat while they're butchering a goose, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that they've they've got the the basic stuff all ready to go. It's just a matter of what's what's the golden ring that pulls the audience back into theaters, guaranteed a second time. Now, if you could say that this extended edition will never show up on Blu-ray or DVD or digital edition. This is a theater once in a lifetime only experience and it will never, ever, ever come back. I think that would, that would motivate people, but you have to stick to it when the, when the Blu-ray and the digital comes out, it's gotta be the theatrical Spider-Man and all that extended stuff that we saw in the theaters has to remain in the deleted scenes category. And you can watch it and go, Oh man, I wish we could put that back in, but you can't, you had to be in the theater for that. 
You know, there's, yeah, you've got to have a way to show people, look what you could have had, uh, but not give it to them directly. You got to make that, that experience special. So I think that would be the, the carrot that motivates the donkey back into the theater seats. Well, and speaking of push, putting people back into theater seats, what's actually, I, again, this gets even more ingenious when you poke at it. If the extended cut of Spider-Man No Way Home does in fact go in domestic theaters on March 11th, three weeks to the day is when Morbius finally opens in theaters. So right, yeah. yeah, again, interesting that Uncharted gets an unfettered three weeks at the box office and then the extended cut and, and then here comes Morbius. Yeah. How do you make of the, the rotten tomatoes? The critics seem to not care for, they seen that Uncharted uh, as ironic for the name uh, Uncharted, but it charts very familiar ground from other globe trotting action adventure, treasure hunt type of movies. And uh, I saw one comment, that was like, if you're trying to win the argument that National Treasure is a good movie by all the crap that surrounds it, this is a good example of that. <laughs> and it was like, ooh, man, if National Treasure rises, you know, floats above this one, I feel very bad. I haven't seen it, so I can't, you know, say anything about it. But mm-hmm. the critics were giving it a, a, a rotten 40 tomatoes while mainstream audiences eat that rotten tomato up with the spoon like it's tomato biscuit and rated at a 90. Mm-hmm. Where's the where's the difference there? Is are the highfalutin critics looking for substance when it's a stupid Twinkie? I mean, well, it's it's fattening. It's good. It's delicious. We don't need to critique the Twinkie. It's kind of intriguing. I know there was an article this week. I'm blanking where I read it, but they were talking about how we are in the post film critic phase of entertainment news. You know, I can't even imagine how long ago it, it is 15 years ago, 20 years ago, when Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel, you know. Sure. I, yeah. And that l- literally impacted the box office. And I mean this in the kindest possible way, but I can't honestly think of a name brand film critic at this point. Somebody. Drew Taylor. Well, that, that, <laughs> that goes without saying. No, you're absolutely right. There is no Gene Siskel or Roger Ebert today. Yeah. And there's no one place where I would go for a movie review that would influence my decision right now, like Gene and Robert did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and right now what I get is an aggregate of here are 35 different opinions and seven mm-hmm. of them like it and 20 of them hate it. And you go, well, I guess I'll hate it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because that's the majority rule. But again, you know, if you think about how the folks at Marvel Studios make, they they have to do this duality thing. They have to do films, but at the same time, they have to entertain the Marvel super fans, and but they also have to entertain the friend that goes along with the Marvel super fan who maybe hasn't read every Spider-Man comic book on the planet and isn't going to get every single possible reference. In fact, there's a, an interview out right now that talks about, you can now get a hold of the actual screenplay for uh, Spider-Man uh, No Way Home. It was part of the Sony's campaign, you know, again, they, when they were chasing the, the Best Picture nomination. And you can read what Chris McKenna and Mark Summers actually wrote for the scene where Peter goes back to the donut shop where MJ works. And, you know, it's it's the moment where he's supposed to reintroduce himself and, and try to reconnect with his friends. So we have the, the description from the screenplay. It's like, 
Interior Donut Shop, uh, Peter finds MJ laughing and talking to an older customer, a Stan Lee lookalike. They wanted Stan back in the movie in some way because they had been doing this for years. You know, Stan, in fact, I think whoever we, said no needs a, a raise and a pat on the back because we would, as fans, I don't <laughs> think we would have tolerated a lookalike. That would be like poor taste, boo. That's not right. Well, what's so interesting is that John Watts still wanted Stan in the movie. So Cinema Blend actually uh, found where John Watts put the Stan reference in. It's in the the Battle on the Cross Bronx Expressway where, where Alfred Molina's Doc Ock enters the movie. And it's like, if you look at the license plate in front of the taxi, on the front of the taxi cab that's parked behind the town car, the license plate on that cab reads 1228, and Stan Lee's birthday was December 28th, 1922, which 100 years ago this year. I'm kind of hoping the folks at Marvel do something with that. But evidently, that was John Watt's way of making sure that Stan was in the film in some way, even if, I think, as you pointed out, it would probably have been in poor taste to put a Stan Lee lookalike in there. Yeah, no, it's much more subtle. It doesn't take you out of the moment, uh, all that stuff. And and that has been one of the things as, as I rewatch the uh, Marvel movies mm-hmm. is uh, stand moments sometimes take you out for a minute. Mm-hmm. They remind you of reality. And that, no, I mean, for real, like I'm sitting here and I'm watching Guardians of the Galaxy and I'm like really into the moment. And then all of a sudden stands there talking to the watchers and I'm like, damn it, that's right. Mm-hmm. Guy's gone now. And, but it's, it's also a reminder that he was the creator of all of this. And these are just comic books. And it's those four or five seconds where you, you may go, ah, Uncle Stan. But it also reminds you of the real world that you inhabit now and that this is just a movie. And that's the one thing I don't li- like that removal while I'm in the moment. And uh, anyway. Uh, but it's interesting that you talk about things in movies that pull you out of the movie. Because uh, when we get back from our break here, um, we're going to talk about a great new book, uh, Red Carpet, Hollywood, China, and the Global Battle for Cultural Supremacy. And they have some amazing stories about the Marvel movies. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, Aaron, you had a question you, you, you wanted to share with our listeners? Well, I just wondered if we were going to end up talking about the uh, quote-unquote direct competition, and I don't, I don't want to be too specific. So, I, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'll tell you what, I'll refer to them the the direct competition. I'll encode their name and simply just refer to them as DC, so oh. nobody knows who I'm talking about. Oh. Uh, so I understand that uh, quote-unquote. Well, you don't know what I'm talking about, right? It's all code. I have code words. no clue. Oh my okay. God, you are so subtle and sneaky. But I, so please, I continue. understand that uh, DC, as we'll call them, has a movie coming out soon, Jim, and mm-hmm. uh, leaping onto the popularity of the Spider-Man's successes. 
This company has invented uh, another orphan turn hero. Hmm. They didn't want to get nabbed for copyright infringement, so they made them rich instead of mostly broke and uh, changed Spider to Bat and voila. You now have an instant IP. I am certain that is exactly how DC came up with this character they call Batman. Anyway, <laughs> the movie's coming out. It's uh, incredibly long. I'm terribly excited about it. Matt Reeves, uh, the director, had been interviewed recently, and he had a couple of tidbits that mm -hmm. will hopefully explain some of my excitement. Okay. Uh, Matt Reeves said that there were no edicts from the WB mm -hmm. on what had to be in the movie. Originally, when he had read the script, it was connected to the extended DC universe with the Justice League heroes and a Ben Affleck version of Batman still at that time. Oh. And uh, they say, hey, what do you think of the script? And he's like, yeah, that's cool, but uh, not for me. <laughs> and so he was on his way out the door and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Nobody says no to Batman like that. What, what, what would you do? And he's had a lot of success with the Planet of the Apes franchise at this moment right so certainly yep you know they're like you make us lots of money mr money bags come back here make mm -hmm. more money batman money mm -hmm. and so what would you do and uh one of his things was he wanted to do a solo batman movie but he really really wanted batman to have a, a story arc and one of his viewpoints that i find completely truthfully accurate is that batman just becomes a thing in his own movies where the movie ends up becoming all about the villain Batman is is a, a constant. He doesn't really change. He is what he is. And all of the movie is about how did the Joker become the Joker? And how did Bane become Bane? And what's the master plan? And will you know Batman save it? But Batman doesn't really change. And he wanted, in this movie, he wanted Batman to have a, a starting point and an end point that had a true character arc that fundamentally changed this character which is why it's set earlier in his career. It's not year one. He's established as Batman. He's got his gadgets. We don't need to see him invent that stuff. We don't see mom and dad need to get killed and all that. Mm -hmm. We just need to see him be brutal. But he's still young, and he's not quite the Batman that we all know. And throughout the course of this detective movie, you know, they're using the Riddler as like uh, the Zodiac for inspiration. Oh, come on. Oof. Come on. I am so all over that. When they're talking about Zodiac, David Fincher's Zodiac in seven mm -hmm. as bits of inspiration for a Batman movie. Oh, jeez, I am so all over that. But uh, yeah, the, the he wanted to have uh, Batman go through a character arc and he didn't want to have to deal with all the other superheroes and he just wanted it to be its its own thing. And then the, the people at WB went, okay, do it. And he went, well, the deal is you got to wait till I'm done with this monkey movie over here. And that's going to be at least another six months before I can even think about it. And they're like, okay. And he went, oh, shoot, they're actually going to do this. I thought I was able to talk my way out of that heavy responsibility and burden. Oh, well, I guess I'll have to do it now. And here we are several years later uh, with a new The Batman, the Batman movie Batman. coming soon. Well, and sooner than you might expect. In fact, as you were chatting, I was looking at the images from the London premiere, the world premiere, which was just last night. Yeah. Or, or yeah. if not, tonight, uh, if we factor yeah. in the time difference. And speaking of red carpets, just today we also got information about the red carpet in L.A. for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And that's going to be held on Monday, May 2nd. Multiverse of Madness comes out on May 6th. So there's only 
four days in between those two points. Whereas, for example, the London premiere tonight, this is February 23rd, and that Warner Brothers production isn't released until May 4th. So there's a week to 10 days or thereabouts where, you know, if people were looking to spoil the film, they could. And this is a departure for Marvel to keep the release date that close. Because, again, if you look at Eternals or you look at Shang-Chi, they had their premieres two and a half weeks out from when the movies were released to theaters. Speaking of Shang-Chi and speaking of the Eternals, neither of these Marvel movies were released in China. Now, they weren't officially blocked. In fact, what's interesting, again, about this, this wonderful new book from Penguin Press, The Red Carpet, Hollywood, China, and the Global Battle for Cultural Supremacy by Eric Schwartzel. He talks about the fact that what's interesting about China is only 34 films a year are allowed into that country. Just within the past decade, that went from being, eh, that's okay, to that could make or break this movie. Over the past 10 years, China has become the largest movie-going market in the world. In fact, some of the stats are just stunning because China, at one point between 2010 and 2015, Aaron was adding movie screens at the rate of 10 a day. 2016, it goes to 27 screens per day. Uh, 2018, China at that point had 54,164 theaters. And the next year, they added over 1,400 more screens. And that's just in the red light district. Whoa. <laughs> Whereas, you know, the interesting thing is back in 2020, the United States only had just shy of 41,000 screens in the country. And that was 174 down from the year previous. We were closing movie theaters at this time. Whereas, for example, if we just take a moment and look at the Avengers movies, like the original Avengers came out in 2012. The movie made $1.5 billion, and only $86 million of that came from selling tickets in China. If we then jump ahead to uh, 2018 with Infinity Wars, that movie makes $2 billion, but the Chinese chunk of the box office is $359 million. It's damn near a quarter of what that film made. And then the following year, Endgame comes out, $2.7 billion worldwide. China is 620 million of that. So we're creeping up now on, on closer to a third. Marvel stood outside of this and for a time and was like, okay, how do we make these movies work better for China? And so for a time, Marvel Studios was entertaining the idea of actually doing a co-production with a, a Chinese film firm called DMG. If they were to do that, Iron Man would have actually counted as a domestic release in China, which meant it wouldn't have to go through being considered as one of those 34 films from the outside that could possibly be shown in Chinese theaters. But the problem was that that meant the, uh, the Chinese government through DMG would have control over the film. And Disney opted instead to, let, let's pull back from the co-production idea, but let's explore the idea of doing some extra footage for the film that can then be inserted for the Chinese market. So I'm, I'm going to share 
a chunk of the book here that basically it talks about how there is an actress, Fan Bingbing, uh, who is a huge star in uh, China who got tapped to appear in Iron Man. And so it talks about the additional four minutes of footage that was added to the movie, which included a scene of the suited superhero being surrounded by adoring Chinese schoolchildren. And Fan's big moment came in the film where a Wong uh, Shuri, a Chinese actor hired to play a doctor who rescues Iron Man uh, after he's injured. Um, and what's interesting about this scene in the movie is the doctor, as he's talking with Fan, pours himself a glass of Goo Lee Duo, which is a milk grain drink made by a, a Mongolian manufacturer. And the interesting thing is... The, the Chinese government asked for this scene to be put in the, the film showing the actor drinking this milk grain drink because earlier in the year, the manufacturer had been accused of letting the levels of mercury in their milk drinks get a little high. <laughs> but anyway, the whole notion of this, this four-minute-long scene in the movie was to show China as a place that had world-class doctors, beautiful actresses, and safe milk. Now, Kevin Feige sees this scene, and they're initially thinking about it goes out worldwide. Kevin looks at it, and it's so clunky, and it's so ham-handed, and it's so obvious that he makes the call that, geez, uh, we can't put this in the film that goes around the world, but we can keep it in for the Chinese market. And when the Chinese government finds out, they get furious? Because, again, the whole notion of this scene in the movie wasn't to play to the Chinese market, mm. but rather to showcase what China was capable of. Again, it had beautiful actresses, it had world-class doctors, and safe milk. And that's the thing of, of Eric's book. It, it just shines the spotlight on the, the things that you think you know. I just wanted to see the scene where the guy comes in, picks up the glass of milk. I am so thirsty. And then he takes a big drink and then he looks directly into the camera and a very broad commercial like smile comes across his face as he nods his head in approval of the milk he just drank. And then he gives the thumbs up and the extra wink. And then the voiceover comes on briefly that goes, uh, Gooly Duo, it's safe milk. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, I hate to say this, but you are really not that far off. That, that in fact, supposedly in the scene, it starts off with the doctor in the operating room removing the arc reactor from Tony Stark's chest. They then cut to a title card that literally reads, What does Iron Man rely on to revitalize his in, uh, energy? After a three-second blackout, the answer is provided, Gooly Doe. And, and that's the thing of showing this milk. But again, if we jump ahead now to 2015 and the original Doctor Strange and, you know, the notion of, you know, if you remember the ancient one, the, the one who taught surgeon Doctor Strange, the secret of magic, you know, it's a very cliched ancient Chinese male figure. And mm -hmm. Kevin was initially worried about how this would play. So what they decided to do to try to sort of bury the needle in the other direction. They, they cast Tilda Swinton to play the ancient one. And now she was a Celtic female of indeterminate age. 
Feige talks about this when they were making the decision back in 2015. I think if you look at the earlier incarnations of the ancient one of the comics, they are what we would consider today to be quite stereotypical. They don't hold up to what would work today. But if we now jump ahead to just last year when Kevin, as they were bringing Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings to theaters, he got asked about the ancient one and he said, oh, geez, we thought we were being so smart and so cutting edge. You know, we weren't going for the cliche of the wizened old, you know, wise Asian man, but it was a wake up call to say, hey, wait a minute, is there any other way to figure this out? Is it, is there any other way to not fall into the cliche and, but also cast an Asian actor? And the answer, of course, was yes. So, you know, be interesting to see who they would have cast now for the ancient one. Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> well, well, there we go. I mean, she she just defines grace and beauty no matter what her age might possibly be. She can take you down, <laughs> you know, uh, and she's got the wisdom. Yeah, I think she's the, the full package there. But yeah, it's just, uh, I think Drew and I were talking about how Trying to please the folks who work in, I, I kid you not, the place you have to submit your films to to get them approved is literally called the Department of Propaganda. And the thing is that you never, they never tell you exactly why you are being rejected. You, mm. you get the film back and then you have to use back channels to try to find out, is this something we need to edit? Is this something we need to change? And for example, with uh, the new Top Gun Maverick movie that's about to come out, because one of the flags on the back of the jack the leather jacket that Tom Cruise's character Maverick wears was the flag of Taiwan, they had to go in and digitally change that because they could not play in the mainland Chinese theaters with the flag of Taiwan, uh, which, again, the Chinese government thinks of as theirs, not an outside territory. Boy, I wish, I wish at some point somebody would ask the question, do we overvalue money? Uh, <sighs> but the answer will always be no. That's what business is driven upon. It's the fuel that runs everything in this world. And blah, well, blah, 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 blah. again, it's so interesting you say that because bringing it back, and again, we promised not to, to get into the, the <laughs> Spider-Man box office, but think about it. You know, uh, Spider-Man No Way Home has not played in China and has still done a, a huge business. In a lot of cases, it's a wake-up call to Hollywood that, like, you know, you can still do amazing business and not be fawning all over China. For example, if you watch the original Venom, one of the ways they make that film play for the Chinese market is when Tom Hardy's character opens his cell phone and he uses an app to message his friends. It's a Chinese app. I mean, it was a deliberate choice made by the production team to the effect of, okay, you know, when he's, you know, he's not using Twitter, you know, he's using this, this other Chinese app. Some of this stuff is subtle. Some of this stuff is not. And, and again, we're in kind of an interesting moment now where, you know, we're looking at a film that literally made billions and didn't play in China. And no, was like, it still going to eventually and, and hasn't gotten there yet? Or did they yeah. ban it because reasons? They've got very few slots. We know that. But we just had a new calendar flip recently. Do we get a new slot, Jim? I don't know. Uh, 
But the other thing that, that uh, Schwartzel brought up is that if you're somebody who covers the entertainment industry, one of the things that the Ministry of Propaganda is very proud of, they'll, they'll take any journalist who's willing to do this, they'll take them to all of the brand new state-of-the-art Chinese movie production facilities they have. And each of them have standing sets, but various studios will lean into different dynasties. So, you know, for example, you know, if, you know, you, you're doing a story that's set in the 1700s of Chinese history, it's like, okay, we got to shoot at this movie theater or, or this movie studio, or it's like, you're doing something in the 1200s, it's like, oh, no, 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 the sets for that are, are, are in a different province at a different movie studio, but they are very proud of their movie industry. In fact, you know, one of the reasons they've restricted the, the West to just these 34 slots is that we can happily fill all of our 51,000 plus movie theaters with product that we ourselves make. You know, we don't have to rely on the West for, for movies to play in our theaters and sell tickets. So that that's the other thing, frankly, that Hollywood's dealing with right now is that they're actually competing with films that are made in China. So again, I cannot recommend enough. If you, if you want an interesting history of how we got to this point, chase down a copy of Red Carpet, Hollywood, China, and the Global Battle for Cultural Supremacy by Eric Schwartzel. And that's going to do it for this week's Marvelous Disney. Aaron, always enjoying seeing what you're posting on social media. Can you tell folks where they can find you? Yeah, absolutely. And you better do it quick because the Surgeon General states that it may be beneficial to your health to follow me on Twitter uh, at Azaprod. Uh, no, it's it's a real fact, Jim. So far, out of the 366 people that follow me, mm-hmm. none of them have died so far. Whereas, out of the 90 million Taylor Swift followers, tragic report that many thousands of them have passed in uh, recent days. So... <laughs> it's just safer statistically. I say, if you I, follow me, did any of this involve a milk grain beverage? Or, or all right, we don't want to ask that question. <laughs> okay. So, so how can they find you? Well, they just go to Twitter and they go to at Azaprod, and uh, I don't want to get all biblical, but you will be saved. I cannot make those those same sorts of claims for our social media presence, but you can find us. I'll make them on your behalf, brother. Can I get an amen? Uh, Okay. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. And I think that's going to do it for this week. So uh, thanks for listening, folks, and we'll be back soon.